Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Illuminated Word Podcast. I'm David McLean, and our reading today comes from Zechariah chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Just a short section today. Even though it's three verses, though, it is filled with uh, just an incredible message and image. And so let, let's go ahead and read that now. Start in verse 18. It reads, Then I looked up, and there before me were four horns. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these? He answered, These are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I asked, What are these coming to do? And he answered, These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise their head, but the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. So if I'm being honest uh, right now, I never really spent a whole lot of time in Zechariah. Maybe that's a a bad thing to admit, but it's the truth. So I haven't really spent a whole lot of time in Zechariah until this week and just spent some time reading through it. And and the message that Zechariah has is the incredible message of hope, uh, man, it is so powerful and challenging, but also uplifting. Uh, I kind of thought of, you know, since we came off a, a big game this past weekend, kind of thought of college football. And you may be thinking, well, what does college football have to do with the book of Zechariah? Well, just hang on me for a second. Maybe you'll see. I started thinking how though, our zeal for, for sports, no matter if it's college football, basketball, whatever, uh, our zeal for sports teams really reveals our addiction to the cycle of hope. Uh, no matter which team you support, it always starts with this unbridled hope, and it ends for all but one team in shattering disappointment. If your team's not the one that's on top by the end of the season, there's always this idea of, well, wait until next year. And then the cycle begins all over again. Now, the only solution to the cycle is a brutal reality. You know, like when a team has a streak of losing seasons, uh, we tend to just kind of embrace this idea of hopelessness. We say things like, we'll never have a real chance of success. As long as he's the coach, we're never going to make it anywhere. And listen, as a Florida State football fan, I feel this to my core. Uh, but, but if you're a fan of a team that has uh, just undermined and wiped out your hope, then you'll identify with the book of Zechariah. Uh, the prophet speaks to a people who've experienced consecutive losing seasons, just to continue with that illustration. They've been imprisoned for 70 years, and they've only recently been released. They've endured challenge after challenge thrown at them by their uh, ever-going enemies, the, the Samaritans. And they're attempting to rebuild the temple, which is a very difficult and long job. And it's at a time when they don't have any real clear leadership. And so into this situation, God calls Zechariah. His mission is to encourage and to give hope to a people that God loves dearly. The name Zechariah, as Devin pointed out yesterday, is itself filled with hope. It literally means the Lord remembers. And so Zechariah's message and his very name is God's way of telling Israel that that he has not forgotten them, that the promises God has made to them can be trusted, that God will be their everlasting source of hope. To to underscore that hope, Zechariah prophesies often about the coming Messiah. In fact, he makes more references to Jesus than any of the other minor prophet books in the Old Testament. The book of Zechariah is often compared to uh, Isaiah, which is a messianic prophecy-rich book. Uh, But they're both filled with remarkable connections to Jesus. For example, Zechariah points to Jesus' birth in chapter 9, verse 9, and his second coming. Uh, He describes Jesus as the Messiah of hope, the forgiver, uh, a leader, and a king who is coming to rule his people from Jerusalem. 
Uh, his descriptions of the Messiah later uh, give the gospel writers a just a remarkable treasure box of prophetic connections to Jesus, which includes Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on a colt, uh, his betrayal for 30 pieces of silver, his crucifixion, and, and of course his ultimate reign as ruler of the kingdom of God on earth. So what does our verses today, what is this image that we see, this vision, what does it have to do uh, with that? Well, beginning in verse 18, Zechariah receives a second vision from the Lord. And this one is consisting of four horns and four craftsmen. And among the Jews, the horns of an animal were a measure of that animal's power. And we kind of have the same idea today. Uh, you think about it, if someone goes deer hunting, what are you looking for when you're deer hunting? You're, you're looking for the size of, of the rack. You're looking for the horns. And so if you get one, you go and you tell your friends, hey, uh, bag me a buck today. The first question they ask is, how big? Not about pounds. They want to know how many points, how many, you know, how big is the horns? Uh, and then you think of things like um, the, like the longhorn bull. You know, living in, in Texas, we used to see those all the time. Man, those things are impressive. Uh, just the horns on them. It was definitely worth stopping, you know, on the side of the road and just looking at them. And, uh, and the girls would be walk, looking at them going, wow. Uh, so because horns represent strength in the animal world, the horn was also used figuratively in the Old Testament to symbolize political or military strength. For instance, in Micah chapter 4, verse 13, God says, Rise and thresh, daughter Zion, for I will make your horns iron and your hooves bronze, so you can crush many peoples. Horns were also used to symbolize kingdoms, like in Daniel 7.24. So the four horns that Zechariah saw represented the power of the nations that had scattered Jerusalem, an interpretation that uh, is obviously made clear by what the angel says in verses 19 and 21. So we know what the horns represent, but what does the, the number four represent? Why that specific number? Uh, what nations or kingdoms are being symbolized? Well, some interpreters, some scholars have suggested that the four kingdoms are the, the world empires of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. But some have also said that earlier kingdoms like Assyria, um, Egypt, Babylon, Persia, uh, those are the ones we're talking about. And then others have actually said that the four horns represent attacks against Israel from all sides. So the horns would represent north, south, east, and west. But no matter what the exact significance of the number, the horns clearly portray total domination of the people of Israel by the powers that, that attacked and, and conquered them. So because of his, uh, his jealous love, God assured Zechariah that he would act with justice uh, to, to throw out the great power, to, to override, to overpower the great power of these conquering kingdoms. And the four craftsmen in, in verse 20 represent God's instruments to bring justice to the nations that had abused God's people. Zechariah himself doesn't even ask about the identity of the craftsmen. Uh, instead, he asks about their function. What are they coming to do? Now, the answer, which uh, comes from the angel, is that they have come to terrify uh, the four horns that abused Judah and to cut off the horns of these nations, indicating, again, a dismantling of these nations, a destroying, a destruction of the nations that have uh, abused and, and, and just dominated God's people. And so perhaps the, the vision of the four craftsmen is meant to evoke the idea that, that just as a craftsman does his work slowly, uh, carefully, skillfully, God also skillfully works his justice in his own time. Also, sometimes we can only understand the work of a craftsman once it's finished. 
So in the same way, God's ultimate justice will only be fully understand or understood when, when time ends, when, when this all comes to an end and God's purposes are complete. And so sometimes we look at our lives and, and from our limited earthly human perspective, we just can't see the pattern or the plan. We, we can't see God's justice at work. And, and life looks just, just messy, unfair, ugly. Life is not fair. I, I don't know... Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever said that to you or not, but life is not fair. But God is fair. God is just. God is, is greater than this life. And so the things that we face on a daily basis, whether it's personally or whether it's in a family, in a community, as a church, as a nation, as just a people, the things that we face, we can look at them and say, well, that's just not fair. I don't want to deal with this. Why are we having to put up with this? Life isn't fair, and you're right, it may not be fair, but God is fair. God is greater than that situation. God is greater than whatever it is you're facing. God is greater than this unsurmountable or insurmountable uh, mountain in front of you. And the reality is we may not experience the fullness of his plan for us in our lifetime. We may find ourselves wondering, why am I suffering this way? Why am I going through this? But, but like a craftsman, God is working everything together. I mean, isn't that what Romans 8.28 says? Uh, it was just eye-opening for me when, I don't remember how old I was. I know I was a teenager. I was an older teenager. And I had always been told that Romans 8.28 meant that God caused all things to work together. And that really just messed up my view of God. Uh, that God would cause death and destruction in diseases like cancer, that God would cause children to be kidnapped and murdered uh, or sold into trafficking, that God would cause all these things. That just that was not a God I was interested in following him. But then it, it just took a preacher, uh, the preacher at the church in Mariana there, who said, no, no, God doesn't cause all things. Uh, he doesn't make all things happen. He, he works all those things. He works through them. That life is unfair. That life is messy. That because we live in a fallen and broken world, bad things are going to happen. Ugly things are going to happen. Things will break our hearts and bring us to our knees. And it will sometimes just be awful. But in all the situations, God is going to work through them to bring about something good to those who love him. And so... As a result, knowing that God is a craftsman, knowing that God, uh, this image that we get in Zechariah, that, that the Israelites have faced 70 years of pain beyond anything I can imagine, beyond anything I've experienced. Uh, they have experienced pain. They've experienced loss. They've experienced hopelessness. That God gives Zechariah this image and says, yeah, these, these are the horns that represent it, but these are the craftsmen that are going to overthrow the power. In other words, he's saying, I'm coming. I'm going to restore hope to Israel. I'm going to, as he says in verse 17, uh, before our reading, uh, Devin went over last week, uh, he's going to choose uh, Israel again. He's going to choose Jerusalem the Lord will again comfort Zion. He will again overflow uh, the towns of Israel with prosperity and will choose Jerusalem. Oh my goodness, thank God that he is faithful to his promises. Thank God that he is going to carry us through. This image, man, it speaks to me today. 
I don't know about you, but I am just, I, I am tired of, of hearing about it, whatever it is right now in our media. I'm just tired of it. And you just kind of feel like, man, there's just no, everything is just so ugly. And, and really, where is the hope? And I just see this image and I can imagine, I can imagine God telling me, it's okay. Justice is coming. God is a craftsman who works in his own time. And so because of that, I can say, God, I know that you are just. I know that you are righteous. And so I'm counting on your ultimate judgment, that you're going to take care of things, even if I don't quite understand how. You see, God promised overriding justice to the people of Judah, his chosen people. And and family, he promises that to us as well. I hope you're having a blessed week. I hope you are looking for ways to be a blessing, to be used by God. And I hope you know that you were loved unconditionally by a God who is faithful to his promises. Have a blessed week.